Hello and welcome to Georgia Detail and I'm your host Mark Ripman. So I'm very pleased to be joined today by Calvin French-Owen, CTO and co-founder of Segment. Thanks for having me, Mark. So Calvin, um, tell us a little bit about, um, I suppose, the, how you came to help sort of found Segment and what was your kind of route into that? Yeah, so it's a bit of a long story, so I'll just try and keep it short. Um, we, we started way back in 2011 uh, when we were fresh out of college. Uh, so to kind of set the steep set the stage here. Uh, it was myself and three roommates from college. We just finished our junior year and we wanted to start a startup because we thought it would be cool. We didn't really know anything about business. Uh, we didn't have a clear problem to solve yet. We just wanted to start a business because we thought it was a fun thing to do. Um, and so originally uh, we'd been big fans of Y Combinator and had read a bunch of work on Hacker News and a bunch of Paul Graham's essays. And the advice that uh, the community was giving us was that you should always start with a problem that you have. And so ourselves being students, uh, we started with actually a completely different idea than what Segment does today. Uh, But we started building this classroom product for college lectures. Um, So we were trying to solve the problem where you're sitting in a big lecture hall, the professor says something that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, And you just kind of look around and you see the people to your left of you are confused and the people to your right are confused. Uh, But the professor keeps on going because they they don't realize that the whole class is just lost. And so we built this product, which originally was uh, more or less a confusion meter for the professor, where students could enter on an app on their laptops or their phones saying, I'm confused or I get it. And then the professor would have just a passive iPad up at the front of the class, letting them know, hey, 60% of your class just got confused. Maybe you should go back over this point again. Um, And so we built this prototype out over the course of a few weeks, and we applied to YC with this idea, um, and we actually got in. Uh, And I guess YC is uh, this incubator uh, based in Palo Alto, Y Combinator. Yeah, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar. Uh, But basically, they agree to give you a little bit of funding uh, and then a lot of advice. And so uh, we went through YC, we tested early classes, Berkeley, Stanford, um, and then we moved back to uh, Boston because we knew a bunch of professors at MIT from going to school there. And we started putting in classrooms there and the whole thing just crashed and burned. Uh, Students would go to Facebook, YouTube, Gmail. Uh, Some students were going to like eBay and things. It was like all places that weren't helping the class learn, uh, but in retrospect, the places you'd exactly expect a college student to go. <laughs> um, so at the time we realized, okay, maybe we didn't build the right product here. So let's try something else. Uh, Cause we'd actually just raised money from investors um, who said, Hey, we believe in the team, like find a new product. So we spent about a year building different analytics products. Um, and kind of all of them really didn't get us anywhere. Uh, We just kept building things for marketers and for uh, big growth teams. And meanwhile, here we are, four college students who have never run a website for more than 100 people. And so finally, we get to uh, December of 2012, and we realize that things really aren't going well. Uh, We've got about six months left of runway. Um, 
And we're starting to figure out like, okay, maybe we have to go get real jobs somewhere. Maybe the startup thing just isn't for us. Maybe we're just not good at it. Uh, and we decided to try one kind of last ditch effort um, where we said, okay, we're going to just try and launch something and put it out there. And we went back to solving one of the original problems that we'd had uh, pretty much from day one or two of building out the classroom product. And that was that we were trying to get more analytics about our users because we wanted to understand them and we wanted to build uh, the right product for like the right classrooms. And what we found um, was that there were these three tools on the market. There's Google Analytics, there is Kissmetrics, and there is Mixpanel. And we were looking at all three. Uh, and remember, we weren't sophisticated at all. We, we were coming at this totally fresh. We couldn't really understand the difference between them. Um, and so what we decided to do instead was we said, okay, we're going to take the lazy engineer's way out of this. And we're just going to send the same data to all three. And we'll figure out which one to use later. And that really was the birth of the product that is Segment Today. Because um, we, we just decided to make that, that single idea our whole product. Um, where engineers could add tracking once and then configure different tools that they might want to send data to on the fly. Uh, so we opened up source this little library called Analytics.js. It was maybe like 100 lines of JavaScript that we put up on GitHub. Um, we spent a bunch of time cleaning it up. Uh, and honestly, it was really divisive between my co-founders and I. Uh, Peter, the CEO, said like, oh man, there's no way this is ever going to work. This can't be a real business. Uh, We'll launch it and it will fail and then we'll move on to other things. But that day that we launched it, uh, December 12th, 2012, um, we actually got an amazing response on Hacker News and on GitHub. Uh, and we got about a thousand stars that day, 300 upvotes. And it was really the start of us uh, towards finding this product market fit and identifying a real problem where even though it seemed like a small sort of niche wedge problem, it was one that really resonated with the market uh, and sort of carried us towards the tens of thousands of companies that we now help today when it comes to managing their customer data. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I mean, I suppose I suppose the challenge there is is you've got something that's a side project or something that's a useful utility, and you know you can release that. And, and like you said, it got it got lots of upvotes, it got lots of attention on on Hacker News. But I mean, I've been involved in companies. I think Qubit at one point had something called OpenTag, which is. Which is again a similar thing that is sort of partly open source and 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 it gets you gets word about you, but also it can become a burden as well in terms of supporting it and so on. I mean, did, I suppose that was a was that a kind of consideration that it might become popular, but actually it's not going to be a business. Uh, it was definitely a consideration for us in the early days. Um, I think what's been interesting to me watching our segment journey is that really I'd advise any founders, early stage startups, or even folks who are looking at new products. Just focus on one really narrow problem. Uh, because even if it feels like that problem can't become a business, usually once you solve that problem, customers will tell you their next six problems uh, that they want solved. Yeah, and usually you'll start hearing resonance from a subset who say, oh, we can, like, if you solve this for me, uh, then I'd be fully willing to pay you money. Um, but even just having the, the ear of the customer, or the customer having your ear is sort of a competitive advantage in that way. So, so I mean, you're the CTO, and and um, I mean, <clears throat> and uh, I suppose uh, listeners to the show, we've had we had uh, Yali Sassoon on in the past talking about Snowplow, and and we, 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 the concept of a JavaScript track, tr- tracker. I mean, maybe just for people who are listening, what 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 is 
analytics.js and the concept of, of JavaScript trackers, and I suppose why having just one of those is a benefit to having lots of them. What, what was the what's the technical part of that, and why would that be a problem that engineers want to try and solve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe before I dive in there, I'll give just a little bit of background on kind of what Segment is and what Segment does. Um, kind of, yeah, at, at the core where we're at with Segment today, uh, we kind of have this really strong belief that every business today, every business in the world should be able to provide amazing experiences for their customers. And in today's world where a lot of those interactions have moved online, they're no longer in person or happening over the phone or over email. Um, they're happening where people just log onto a website or if I'm watching Netflix, let's say, I just use the Netflix app. Like I don't even know anyone who is employed there. Um, as those interactions have moved online, fundamentally building those best-in-class product experiences and creating um, those world-class products comes down to understanding your customer really, really well. And the only scaled way to do that is with data. And so Segment helps companies become data-driven by collecting data from all those different touch points, uh, their mobile apps, their websites, internal tools that they have putting it into one clear, consistent place so they can get that single view of the customer and then actually activating that data in all the different tools that they're using. Uh, Google Analytics uh, or Mixpanel or Amplitude, um, email tools like MailChimp or SendGrid, um, customer support tools like Zendesk uh, or a data warehouse. Um, and so really there's a lot to that ecosystem, though, as you said, uh, kind of the start of it begins with uh, data collection. Um, and that's really where we started as kind of the focus of the problem too. Um, we were looking at a bunch of these different JavaScript libraries that are out there. Um, and they all come from, uh, I'd consider like different generations of JavaScript. Um, I'm, I'm sure as you're probably familiar, JavaScript has evolved and it still is constantly evolving uh, over the past decade. Um, and some libraries seem like they're sort of like frozen in time uh, using JavaScript from five, 10 years ago uh, versus other ones that feel a little more modern and intuitive for developers. Um, and kind of the core insight that we found is that like, okay, each of these different JavaScript libraries that you load on your page, they not only increase that page weight, um, and so they create a worse experience for your customers, but also, each of them are like slightly different and annoying in their own little fiddly ways. Um, and that's kind of a shame because at the core, they all just care about the same data, which is who are my customers and what are they doing? Uh, and so, yeah, we wanted to create just a single JavaScript library that would then allow you as a developer to add it once, track that information, who's my user, what are they doing? Um, and then, it can send into an API or collect directly from the client to actually collect that data in a more responsible way. But why, why do you think that resonated as opposed to other ways of doing it, really? Yeah. You, because you guys, have, you know, the growth has been fantastic. Yeah. I think the biggest one, to be honest, or the biggest contributing factor to that um, is that writing in integrations is sort of, uh, I think Paul Graham calls it a schlep. Um, and he has this great essay on uh, what he calls schlep blindness, where the best startups out there are tackling some like super mundane, like kind of boring, like annoying problem that everyone is just blind to because they're used to doing it. Um, but that if you can solve it for people and you can really make it 
easy to use and delightful, um, people will just love you for it and pick it up. Um, and the example he uses in that essay is Stripe. Uh, for a long time, like, yeah, you could collect money online and payments, but it was just hard and annoying and Stripe made it easy. I, I think Segment kind of fundamentally did the same thing where we made our API focused around the user. So it was very intuitive. You just track things that the user is doing or identify them when you learn more information. Um, and then also uh, we took care of all of these annoying little wrinkles when it comes to understanding different APIs in slightly different ways, which in my mind, that's the real schlep, right? Um, like very few people have ever uh, made the inflection point in their business happen by writing an integration, but everyone has to do it. And so uh, I think that's the real place where Segment came in and provided a lot of value in a way that was easy and intuitive. Okay. Okay. So, so I mean, the product I guess most most people are aware of is is what you call Segment Connections now, which is which is routing mm-hmm. uh, routing events to to your Martech things downstream and, and and so on. And I suppose the question to you would be, yeah, you you do. I suppose the the trick to it is not that you do this, but you do it at a scale as well. And and I think to me the thing that exposed that really brought me brought me to. Uh, Brought to your attention, the scale of what you do was a was a was a blog post. I think it was written by your engineering team a couple of years ago, which was the uh, the million dollar engineering problem, and and I, I, it was all about I suppose keeping costs contained and and I suppose the 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 effort in, involved in doing this. But just to give us an idea of the scale of the, fact, the way you do this and how you do this at how you do this for all these companies at the scale that you do, and the challenges there. Yeah, this has honestly been one of the most rewarding parts of seeing Segment grow for me because um, I'm sort of a big distributed systems nerd. Uh, I just like seeing systems operate. Um, and so getting that front row seat into seeing the company scale over time has been incredible. Um, t- today, we process about 450 billion events every single month. Um, and that translates roughly to 250,000 requests per second coming through the pipeline. Um, in order to run all that, uh, we basically completely containerized our infrastructure. So it's running as a bunch of these little microservices and a bunch of different Docker containers, which are kind of all, uh, consuming data, filtering it, publishing it to other Kafka topics. Um, but in total, uh, we're running about 16,000 of those containers in production today. Um, and so, uh, very quickly, you can probably get a sense that, as we've had to scale incredibly quickly, um, we want to be able to deliver all this data for customers. We try and achieve a latency end-to-end of about 1.3 seconds from first entering the front door to making it successfully into one of those products, Mixpanel, Amplitude, um, Google Analytics. And then at the same time, we want to uh, make sure that we're doing it in a cost-effective way for all those customers as well. So th- that kind of spawned the impetus for the blog itself. Uh, because uh, obviously at a fast growing startup, like as you just add and add and add and add more complexity, um, it's easy for some of those costs to uh, balloon a little bit more than they should. And so we've, we've tried to put a focus usually about once a year or so just on understanding where our costs are coming from and then figuring out how we can optimize our infrastructure to solve for that. Okay. Okay. And I suppose connections as a, as a platform is, I mean, we're talking this in a bit, bit about personas and, and other products, but something I noticed, I think your conference was recently and, and you mentioned you've launched, um, I think custom connectors, so custom destinations and functions and so on. I mean, so, so what are they really? And, and, and how does, uh, you know, what, what problem do they solve really as well? 
Yeah. Um, so I, I'd say this is still an early product. Um, the product you're referring to is just called segment functions. Um, and uh, essentially, the what you can think of them as is sort of like Lambda for segment. It's little bits of code that transform the data either coming into segment or going out of it. Um, and the real problem that this addresses uh, for many of our customers is that they said, well, it's incredible that all of my data is kind of able to be put in one place in segment. But now if I want to add some custom functionality or maybe like a workflow that's unique to my business or maybe there's just a really niche tool, um, like a shipping tool uh, that I want to use that's particular to my vertical but doesn't generalize well to segment. Now at this point, I'll have to spin up a bunch of infrastructure to handle that. Um, and so I can hook into Segment's webhooks and I can spin something up on Heroku or AWS, uh, but typically I'll have to manage that a lot manage a lot of that infrastructure myself, whether it's doing provisioning, capacity management, analytics, dead letter queues, retries, like kind of the list starts going on. Um, and so we really thought like, okay, can we simplify this? Because uh, at Segment, we're really all about making this customer data simple, intuitive, uh, and just easy to run at scale. Um, can we make this as easy as the user just writing 10, 20 lines of JavaScript that take that data either coming in or going out of segment um, and letting them do whatever they want with it. Uh, if they want to tweak an integration behavior, if they want to write an entirely new integration, if they want to hook up to an internal tool, um, really we should just make that as easy as possible for them because all their data already lives in segment anyway. Um, and so we've actually seen like pretty cool use cases from that. Um, there, there's one customer who's hooking this up to a decades-old internal system that they have. Uh, and so they were imagining this migration would take about six months to do. Uh, they started using segment functions, and it took them one day <laughs> to write the code, get it into production, and then start collecting data from it. Um, so big like strat strategic shifts like that to even customers who just want to light up lights in their office every time they close a deal. Um, yeah, it, just, it kind of runs the gamut in terms of what people are looking to do with making writing and running code really okay. incredibly easy. Okay. Um, and then another another part of, of connections I've been using a lot recently is, is cloud sources, object sources and, and so on. So they're, they're conceptually a little bit different, aren't they, to, to event and uh, event sources. I mean, what, what, was the, what was the, I suppose, the thinking behind that and, and, and how do they work? And, and again, what problems do they solve? Yeah. Um, so... Cloud sources themselves were born out of uh, just continuing to talk to customers and understand what their needs were. Um, and so for many of the customers who we talked to uh, kind of before the cloud sources product existed, they said, well, it's great that Segment can collect data from places where essentially my code is running. Uh, you can collect data from my website, from my mobile apps, um, from all of these different touch points. But there are a bunch of places where I have touch points with customers where maybe it's harder to get at. Um, you could think of people paying you through Stripe. Like the payments just get collected there and then they more or less live in Stripe. Uh, or people emailing your help desk. Tickets get logged, they get closed. That's all happening in Zendesk. Or um, at least in our case, also as a B2B business, um, we do a lot of our sales and account management through Salesforce, right? And 
And so for us uh, to get a holistic view of that customer journey and even to just calculate our total revenue from the business, um, we need to pull data from Stripe about what plan people are on, what they've been invoiced for. We need to get deal data from Salesforce to understand how much uh, revenue is currently closed for the quarter. And then we actually want to tie that to analyze, hey, where are our best users coming from to all of that behavioral data, uh, the data on your website, on your mobile apps. And so um, really that was kind of the impetus for it, just trying to collect data from all these other places where people might want to analyze it. Um, and a big one that we heard over and over again, as well as uh, understanding ad spend. Uh, people feel like they're throwing millions of dollars at ads and they just don't understand how they convert all the way through the customer journey. Um, so we said, okay, we're, we're great and world-class at moving this data around, at providing that one single view of the customer. We are now going to pull data in from all of these other cloud sources, um, things like Zendesk tickets or Stripe charges or Salesforce accounts. We'll help you get that into one place and then you can actually analyze it in your warehouse um, by explicitly joining all these different fields together to get this view that, um, honestly, we could not run our business today without that level of insight. Okay. Okay. I mean, and that actually goes quite nicely into, uh, I suppose, the other, the next area of, of kind of segment I've been working with a lot, which is, I suppose, around the idea of customer data platforms and, and the personas product. Um, so just maybe just for anybody listening, you know, what, what, what is segment personas and, and what, is, what is this concept of a customer data platform that, that, that personas is addressing? Yeah. Uh, so maybe I'll start with customer data platforms in general. Um, I think uh, when, when segment started, it was really this new thing on the market that uh, there's kind of nothing like it, uh, where it served as this integration layer for SaaS apps and SaaS tooling. Um, it made it it really fast, essentially, to connect different sources of data to different places where that data should go and where that data should live. Um, I think over time, as the business has grown and the market has grown and our understanding of the market has grown, a lot of companies are starting to realize that, um, hey, again, our interactions are increasingly moving online or into these different data sources or these different SaaS tools. And we need something that is stitching them all together. Because uh, otherwise we're going to get a disjoint customer experience. Um, and I like the clearest example I can use to um, illustrate this is email tools. Typically a lot of companies have multiple email tools. Um, maybe one that they're using for marketing messages. Um, something like, hey, we have a new fall sale. Um, and then one that they're using for more transactional messages where they're saying like, uh, you completed this order, here's your receipt, here's the items you bought. Um, oftentimes what we find uh, with uh, customers who are just starting to work with is they say, okay, I have these two email tools. Um, because they aren't connected, sometimes I will send people that marketing email uh, the same day that I'm sending them that transaction email. And when that happens, the customer uh, is about 3x more likely to say, wow, I'm just getting too many emails from this brand, I'd like to unsubscribe. Um, and that really doesn't help anyone because it doesn't help the company reach the customer again. Uh, the customer stops learning about new updates that are coming. Um, and so, uh, really it's the main problem is just connectivity. These tool, two email tools aren't connected. Um, and so that's really what's driving this adoption of customer data platforms. It's 
connecting all of these different tools and making sure that the data collection uh, is kind of the same throughout all of them. But then even leveling up a little bit um, and focusing on this idea, not just of data and data points, um, but really of a user. Um, because at the end of the day, like you don't care about data, you care about your customers. Uh, and so that's really where customer data platforms come in. They have this collection foundation. They probably have some identity resolution. And then uh, in a lot of cases, there's ways to orchestrate or uh, kind of build that full customer journey. Um, and it was kind of out of that market shift and that changing problem yeah, that we built personas. So, I mean, you, you mentioned at the start almost like, you know, just in passing about um, identity resolution and, and trying to tie, tie people together or sessions together from somebody across devices, time and so on. I mean, what, why is that a tricky problem to do? And, and how, how, what's, what segment's approach to doing that, really? Yeah. I, so I think say there's two things that make identity resolution tricky. Um, I'd say one of them is just the fact that uh, identifiers change constantly. Um, so you could imagine someone logging in via their uh, mobile app and then switching to web. Um, most of the time, unless they've actually logged into your website, there's no cohesive uh, identifier between those two. Uh, and so a lot of companies will struggle to figure out, okay, as a person first comes onto the website, like when they sign in or they sign up, how do we trace that path all the way through? Um, and so at, at Segment, we put a big focus on uh, first-party data. Um, we don't want to be collecting or like doing things like fingerprinting. We don't want to be sharing data across companies. Uh, because really, ultimately, we believe that the best brands in the world, um, the ones who are really going to succeed uh, in the next 20, 30 years, are the ones who are handling data responsibly in a way that the user expects. Um, and so the way that works in Segment today is that we, we say, hey, if you're collecting data from your website or your mobile app, um, send us that ID whenever you have it. But otherwise, we'll use whatever the built-in like cookie or identifier is for that, um, that particular browser or that particular device. Um, and you can still collect data that way. Um, but whenever that user opts in and that user says explicitly like, Hey, I am Calvin at segment. I'm excited to use your product. That's then when you send us the identifier. Um, and in particular, we put a big focus on this identifier being something that is important to you and makes sense to you. So most of the time that is an ID that comes from your database. Um, it's not like a Stripe ID. It's not, um, an email that might change. It's not, uh, like a fingerprint, this is like the, the definitive, I know this user and they are ABC123. Um, and so uh, that's, that's kind of the first approach that we've taken. Um, and then the second is obviously trying to make sure that uh, we're respecting privacy of these users um, and that we're doing merges in an intelligent way. So if you see that user A coming in through mobile and you say, oh, there's also user B coming in through web, We'll actually merge those together for you. Um, they'll also give you controls if you want to undo that merge as well. Um, and really, we've invested a lot in trying to make sure that makes sense across the whole customer journey uh, so that you don't have to worry about um, any cases where, oh, a user came in through these different touch points, uh, but we're giving them completely distinct experiences and messaging. 
So, I mean, you mentioned about privacy there and, and GDPR over in the Europe has been a big issue, sort of a, a, a big thing to think about recently. And, and uh, again, you know, using the product, you've got privacy portal and so on there. I mean, what, what again, what, what is the, I suppose, what, what impact did GDPR have on you and the, and the rights and so on? And how has how segments sort of, I suppose, addressed that and maybe kind of gone beyond that and built that into a, into a benefit for the product? Yeah, GDPR is an interesting one because um, not only uh, do we operate in the EU, um, about 15% of our customers come from there. Uh, but obviously also we're processing data for a bunch of different companies uh, who are there uh, or a bunch of companies who have end users in the EU. Um, so actually about nine months before the GDPR re- legislation rolled out, uh, we were kind of on top of it and uh, reading through and trying to understand the implications of it. We said, you know, as a company, who firmly believes in this level of first-party data and knowing your customer really well um, via information that they've explicitly told you, we actually want to be really aligned with GDPR um, because ultimately we think it's sort of a good thing for the world and that there's going to be more and more privacy regulation that continues to roll out um, across different countries. And so uh, we actually said, okay, we're going to make GDPR support a first-class product in segment. So if you're a company, you can request that one of your users by that user ID um, is either suppressed, uh, you don't stop collecting data for them, you can make sure they're forgotten, so you can delete all data that you currently have, um, and you can ensure that uh, basically you're handling their request properly um, and get a receipt for it. And we said, okay, we'll, we'll offer this via API. We'll offer this in the segment web app so you can delete via either of those ways, whether you want to do it in an automated fashion or whether you want to do it kind of one-off. And then even going and be up above and beyond that, we'll help you delete that data in a bunch of the different tools that you're using. Um, so if you send in a deletion request, we'll also send it to Amplitude. We'll also send it to Braze. We'll also delete that row of data in your warehouse. Um, and we, we really wanted to double down and invest here just because we feel like it's the right thing to do and uh, the thing that the market will reward kind of over the long term. Um, and so uh, we rolled that out uh, now about a year and a half ago uh, because it was right at that May uh, 2018 time. Uh, and when I, I ran the numbers on our first anniversary of GDPR, and frankly, I was blown away by how much customers were using it. Um, we saw about 7 million deletions of various user IDs in that first year, uh, which when you think about it, it's kind of crazy, right? Uh, there's 550 million people in the EU today. Um, so that's almost one, a little more than one out of every hundred of them. I mean, granted, some of these people maybe not, were not in the EU, but uh, it's a much bigger number than I'd anticipated. And even more than that, we started seeing customers actually changing the way their business is done uh, to respect user privacy because we, we made it easy for them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so instead of uh, a company, when you delete your account, uh, them just marking a flag in the database and not actually deleting the row, but uh, just sort of saying, okay, don't show this anymore. Don't allow the user to log in. Um we were actually seeing companies uh, not only take that step in their own infrastructure, but they were actually now, anytime a user deleted their account, they're issuing calls to segment to say, hey, 
I no longer want to control this data. Can you please purge it from my analytics and various data infrastructure? Um, and so uh, honestly, we, we thought it was really cool as a, a new, more respectful way for users who had explicitly said, hey, I want my information to be dropped uh, for companies to actually respect that and be good stewards of that data. Okay. So another another new product you launched a while ago was was protocols, and and I mean that's I suppose to, as, to from my perspective on that is is a good a good line of business is is helping is is helping I suppose customers implement tools like that segment actually add some kind of governance to to, to their setup because beyond a certain point that can detract from the uh, from the kind of I suppose from the benefit they get from it. I mean, just tell us a little bit about what pro, what the problem is that protocols um, addresses, and um, I suppose the challenge around data governance with event systems in the first place. Yes, protocols first started um, from watching some of our bigger customers as we we started growing the product. Um, Many of our early customers were small startups, right? Uh, And uh, they kind of came in and they used it uh, and they figured out uh, what we call a tracking plan, just what events they want to collect and how they want to collect them. Um, Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but for small startups, it's it's pretty easy for everyone to just get in a room and say, okay, here's what we want to collect. Uh, here's how we'll use this data. And they can kind of go from there and more or less be in sync. Um, today, however, we're onboarding some of the world's largest enterprises uh, where they literally have, uh, one of our customers has about 950 people who log into Segment uh, on a monthly basis. Um, Another customer is tracking well over 3,000 different types of events. And for many times, or many points in time, especially as your organization grows, uh, you'll start with that one room of people, but pretty soon you'll have 10 different business units spread across six different time zones uh, and all of this communication overhead to understand how your data should be gathered and what format it should take. Um, and Obviously, we, we looked at this and we said, wow, uh, we think there's actually a big product opportunity here uh, because most organizations don't do anything and their data just sort of slowly becomes this rat's nest that's really hard to keep track of. Um, but the more advanced ones start uh, putting this data into a spreadsheet uh, where um, basically there's one owner for the tracking plan and they're kind of figuring out what to track. Now, the problem, though, with the spreadsheet is that Typically, teams have to QA that, like, yes, the data that we're collecting actually matches what's in the spreadsheet. Um, and oftentimes, it's really easy to get wrong. Uh, like, as an example uh, that I use all the time, imagine you have an iOS and an Android app. Uh, you're this online uh, e-commerce company. You implement all of your tracking correctly, everything from page views through signups, through users adding items to their cart to viewing certain products. And then the last step in your funnel is measuring that order completed event. Um, now, on iOS, you do the entire tracking plan. Everything works perfectly. On Android, you get all the events right, except for that last one where uh, the developer, maybe it was just before they had their coffee, uh, instead of adding order completed, they do completed order. And suddenly that starts messing up your entire uh, messaging and customer experience and funnel. Because um, let's say you want to send people a coupon uh, if they got through every step but that last one. Suddenly you're emailing users who did complete that event anyway, but you just didn't realize it. Um, so that's where protocols comes in. It's 
designed to automate and automatically enforce uh, not only that tracking plan so you can understand what data you're collecting, uh, but also let you filter it, transform it, uh, enforce that certain data is being collected, alert you on anomalies, let you know if some data isn't being collected critically, um, and really control that data quality. Uh, and we, we've actually seen this be like a very popular product amongst our customers because uh, for them, every time that they have bad data or they have to do this QA step, it basically just costs them a crazy amount of time to go back and figure out what happened. And so the software just makes that explicit and automatic. So, 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 I mean, so segment, you, you took one of the, I suppose one of the differences between segment and say, I don't know, mix panel and heap and whatever is that you do have to explicitly go in and track every, every event you want to track. And, and whereas I think some, obviously some other event collection systems, they track everything. I mean, presumably there's a, there's a deliberate choice on your part to, to go with selectively tracking versus tracking everything. I mean, wh- why was that? What was your thinking on that? Yeah. So I think this idea of uh, selectively tracking comes a little bit from our origins, but maybe more just our philosophy uh, kind of on data collection in general. Uh, really, we think that the the companies who are using data in the best ways are ones who put a little bit of thought into it and are just explicit about um, what it is that they want to measure and what they want to do and how they want to collect that data. Um, and so we, we kind of always put the emphasis there saying like, okay, uh, you, you maybe need a developer, like a web engineer or a growth marketer to help implement parts of this at the beginning. But because you are thinking critically and you're tracking with intent, uh, the results that you get on the other side are going to be much, much better. Um, and you're going to always know what the events mean. You're not going to see these sort of like cryptic auto-detected things. It's like you're, you're just going to get the data that you want in the right way. Um, that said, we, we do know that we want to make this easier to work with. Um, so we've been exploring uh, various uh, plugins and extensions and just new product onboardings for letting the user uh, maybe like visually tag their events or set them up in a way uh, where they don't require a developer, but they're still, uh, they're still applying that same level of intent and thoughtful measured pro- practicality when it comes to uh, the data they're collecting. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually, have, I've actually have, I've seen the, the visual tagger, and it sounds interesting in that respect. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah interesting. I mean, I suppose the last, I suppose the last thing I want to talk to you about was actually a great, a great lead on from that, really, which is as a as a CTO and as a co- as a founder, how do you decide in a way what to add and what not to add? I mean, if you look at the comp, you, you, you've got the competition out there, so you've got M Particle, you've got uh, other companies out there that that do Snowplow, for example. How, how do you? How do you position yourself in the market? How do you choose what features to add and what not to add and what to compete on and what not to compete on? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question because I feel like every every company out there must be struggling with this at some level. Um, I, I think for us, uh, one of our advisors who worked at Twilio had, had this great advice. Uh, he said, you know, um, at Twilio, we, we built our business uh, for many, many years and what we saw as our competitive advantage was just the fact that uh, the the customers had our ear, basically. Like, as long as we could continue helping customers solve their problems, they'd keep telling us more, um, and that would tell us the direction to go in. And I think that's really what has driven our product direction to date. 
I mean, when you think about us starting as this 100-line JavaScript library that we uh, host for you, which can send data to six different places, um, it's dramatically smaller than the number of problems we're able to solve for people today, right? Uh, whether it's getting consistent customer data in one place, whether it's moving more quickly when it comes to uh, building integrations, whether it's uh, personalizing or providing a really custom uh, world-class experience. I think the number one thing that we've done when it comes to understanding new features is just ask the customer. Um, we we talk to folks who are not yet customers. We talk to folks who are customers about how we can serve them better. Um, and we really try and apply this focus to make sure that we're constantly building things that will make our customers' lives easier um, or give them more power to do things. So I, th I think that's like the overarching goal that we take. Um, in terms of how that plays out, uh, definitely for us, uh, kind of the business has now spanned many different areas all the way from uh, solo developers who like our APIs, our documentation, um, and just like the responsiveness that you get when you start spinning up segment, you see the events streaming into the debugger in real time, uh, you see where they're going in real time. It's like sort of this magical experience. All the way to uh, global CIOs and CTOs um, at some of these biggest brands in the world, um, places like Levi's, Intuit, Gap, uh, et cetera, IBM. Um, and at those places, uh, I think what they're most excited about is the fact that they, they finally feel like they have this modern data foundation um, that has really invested a crazy amount in just working and being like the, the kind of infrastructure first solution that they've been trying to build or purchase internally for maybe years at this point. Um, but it's one that they just put a lot of trust in segment to be that single view of the customer. Okay. I mean, I think the other thing that's striking about you guys is, is you're, you're, you're at the center of an ecosystem. I don't know if you saw the, the tweet that was out a couple of days ago when the guy, one of the original founders of RJ Metrics was, was talking about how, um, in their view, that although, although they did well when they sold to Magenta, you know, they, looking at the acquisition of, of Looker by, by uh, Google, it, it really showed the value of an ecosystem. And I suppose for you guys, it's also almost, I suppose, what markets you choose not to compete in and actually to support the ecosystem is important. Is, is that something that's part of your philosophy as well? Yeah, I'd say ecosystem is definitely a big part of our focus. I mean, obviously, segment would be nothing without the tools mm. where we send data. Um, in, in some, but you could choose to do a lot more, couldn't you? You could choose to kind of, I suppose, to build out transformation stuff. You could choose to do a lot of things, but you choose not to. In our case, anyway, like we really view our partners as true partners. Um, in most cases, well, if you think about even the very first version of Segment, it wouldn't have existed if there was only one place to send your data, or if there was only one cloud tool, or if there was only one analytics tool. Um, really, Segment's entire existence is prompted by the fact that oh, there are many tools on the market and many places where you want to send your data, um, and many different uses that different customers will have, whether you're uh, a B2B SaaS business or in e-commerce business or like you're a mobile game or something um you're probably using different tools and so at, at segment we really want to see that entire ecosystem bloom and I, I think where we kind of draw the line is whether we think that the new product and the new feature makes more sense in the hub and being the connected tissue between over the across those tools or whether it doesn't 
Um, and so you look at like an analytics or a messaging tool um, or like a tool uh, like customer IO for sending emails, for example, customer IO is going to be a hundred or a thousand times better at like the editing experience for emails, um, actually trying to send those emails, um, putting a big focus on uh, creating like the, the best emails in terms of marketing copy, display, imaging, layout, all of those things that um, would just be hard for us to do well as this data layer. So instead for us, we put more of our focus on things like data transformations, filtering, privacy controls, uh, audience creation. Because um, in some ways, all of those just feel very fundamental um, and they're kind of compounding. Like if you do them in segment once, suddenly it makes all of your tools better. Um, and so really that's sort of the guiding philosophy between the products that we tackle. Um, it's, it's where customers see a need and whether it makes more sense to be just in one single place. Okay. Okay. So just to round off then, how would a developer or a, um, a customer get to uh, find out more about segment and maybe try it out, have a play around and, and understand how it works? So you can go online to the website today. If you just go to segment.com, uh, you can sign up for free. Um, there is a pretty generous plan uh, for individual developers or people who are just trying to kick the tires on the product. All you have to do mm. is add just a few lines of code to your site, and then you'll start seeing events streaming in real time. Um, I'll also add that, uh, especially for early stage startups, we offer a discounted startup program, which gives you, I think it's something like a million dollars overall in terms of free tooling, whether that's Segment or one of our partners. Uh, and we also then give you um, a few more resources as well when it comes to getting on board, mm. whether that's uh, Analytics Academy, which can teach you how to think about analytics for the first time, um, working with some of our partners, uh, or just understanding more of the ecosystem through our documentation. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've loved using the product. It's really good. And it's been great speaking to yourself, um, Calvin, as well. And uh, yeah, thank you. Th- thank you very much. And uh, it's been great. And uh, yeah, have a good have rest of the day. And uh, thank you very much. Great. Thanks for your time, Mark. <laughs>